out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. You know the score. I love a special guest. This is uh, one that I did with The Bachelor Pad, well, Tommy Cherry from the band. And actually, this is a couple of years ago now, so um, I was just going through some of those archives and found this particular interview. And uh, this is it. And for those who are interested, and you probably should be, um, this year, 2020, what a year, uh, there was a new release or compilation that came out titled All Hash and Cock. So there you go. Yes, you did hear it right. Emotional Response Records. Um, so yeah, that's available from all good record shops and probably online. But this is the interview, and after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to the uh, yes, the formation and the uh, the or- origins of the band. Tommy, it's over to you. Oh well, we, we weren't originally like a band that hung about together and you know had dreams of being on top of the pops and all the rest. It started it started off as a recording project, so we and it was only me. And Martin Cotter and Graham Adam and drums, and the 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 point originally was ju- was a recording project. It was it was to record songs. So so we we had no like idea of actually going out as a working band, and we we recorded Jack and Julian, Gilly of Dreams, and Norwegian Wood, and we started getting offers for gigs. So we had to recruit members, right. but originally it began. You know, we weren't like a, a gang of kids hanging out together and playing music and dreaming of being in a band together. It actually began as a recording project, right? And and then the band became a full thing when we were offered live gigs, right? Every see what I mean? Yes, because it was eighty seven. That you released, I do believe, on Warhol the Sound. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh-huh. Um, the the album, the albums of Jack. So this was kind of obviously your first recording and your first release. That's right. Yeah. And how did yeah. that go? Uh, I, I, the reaction was pretty phenomenal. I mean, it was culty, but it was phenomenally culty. <laughs> um, it, it, it was um, pretty well received. Yes. And and at that stage, had you started thinking, actually, we've got something here, we should sort of keep this going, or was it just a bit like, as some people are just having a bit of a laugh and sort of didn't take it that seriously? Um, well, I didn't actually see any like commercial sort of future in it, but a lot of artistic um, possibilities. I, I, I thought I thought we, we we could actually make really good music together. As opposed to be a success, yeah. Uh, we, then... we, we didn't really sort of like um, we didn't really try and please many people other than ourselves. Really, we were quite um, inward rather than we weren't like ambitious. Yes. <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Um, and did you feel and did you feel a bit of a community as well when you got the band together in the sort of late eighties? Because obviously there was so many there were so many other indie bands about that you'd had the Jasmine Minx and then, you know, um yes, the BMX bandits and the soup dragons had gone from sort of indie to sort of some dance stuff and then obviously Jesus and Mary Chain. So did you did you feel sort of part of that scene at all? I, 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 we, we were part of it, but um 
only on a musical level. I didn't really hang out with these people. Yes. And did you start to uh, did you start to pick up <clears throat> kind of fans and followers quite quickly when you um, yeah. started bringing out the first couple of singles? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. There was um, Bachelor Pad fans were pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> because because having done this show for quite a while, you know, I noticed that most bands have this quite an interesting narrative or slightly as you probably can imagine, uh, kind of, I don't know, slightly predictable as well. You know, they have a few years getting together, making a sound with their mates and just playing in front of their friends, family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to see them. And then yeah. John Peel would sometimes, or he was the kind of the gatekeeper, the critical part of this, would play a song on his God. show and that, that would give the band um, a little bit more sort of an audience that, that was kind of outside their kind of neighbourhood. And the John Peel say... And the John Peel session was often another thing that people, you know, was another stepping stone. So how was your kind of narrative? We, we, we never courted John Peel at all. Um, we never went down that that route at all. We, 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 we just put out what we put out, and if people liked it, then that was great. Yes. Uh, but we, we, we never, um, we never um, really went down that road. Yeah. So how did you get sort of a bit more attention sort of outside the the kind of Glasgow music community um probably through live gigs actually I mean we played the length and breadth of the country constantly yes we're always down south um Brighton Windsor London played London hundreds of times um probably through probably through the, the live circuit really Yes. And were you often the main band or were you sometimes supporting? Sometimes you're supported and sometimes you're the main band. It was pretty much 50-50. Yes. And then as, as, as things progressed, because you then were on a, re a record label, which I have to say I've never come across before, if I'd be honest, Imaginary Records. Who, what was the story behind that? Imaginary Records were a Manchester label. Uh, and they originally put out tribute albums, so so they had like various people recording tracks. By yeah, there was a Bonzo one, and there was oh, there was various ones. And uh, then then they started signing up bands to put out original albums. So they they had Cud, I believe, and um, the Mock Turtles and us. Okay, yes. And with that album, which was titled The Tales of Hoffman, was this all kind of new material, or were you sort of using various singles and flexi-disc releases as well? No, it, it was all recorded for the album. Right. Yeah. Because it's got, I think it's a nearly, is it 15-track album? So you're obviously very long. prolific at that time. Way too long. Somebody should have cut it in half. <laughs> Yes. the B sides, but but we weren't we weren't managed. We had no management. Uh, we'd nobody tell us no. Yes, and as and, and as that was progressing, and there was the four of you. How did that dynamic um, continue and develop? Well, it, it, it took on a life of itself, of its own, really. Uh, it, it 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 began as a kind of an idea and a project, and it became a reality. Um. It, 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 the 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 bachelor pad project totally 
exploded really it, it, it took on a total life of its own it was a bit like a frankenstein monster really and you just kind of had to let it go and see what happened yes <laughs> really. oh look and what, and what was the effect and what was the kind of um the next stage when you'd after you'd released this album in 1990 so obviously it was quite an interesting time because the indie scene had changed a bit. There'd been a dance scene, and then you had obviously the grunge scene from Seattle. So there was we were in the middle of that. So, what happened in the next couple of years? Oh, the band. Well, it, the band totally imploded. Really, it, 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 it um, fell apart at the seams. Martin left. Martin left in January 1991. Uh, the day after. We'd signed contracts for uh, a, a new a new recording contract and a tour of Europe, and we were to go into the studio the following week and record a new EP, the Meet the Lovely Jenny Brown. Yes. But uh, Mark Martin had some kind of breakdown or something and and left, and 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 really the whole project just fell apart after that. Yes. So did you, at that stage then, was there anything that, you know, you could do? Because obviously you really, because this was, because had you just signed on to Egg Records at this yeah, stage? Yeah, like almost the day before. Yeah. I mean, and again, I, I have to be honest, I've never come across Egg Records. What was the story behind that? Oh, that was um, Jim Kavanagh, who was part of the Lanzine Empire, which included... Uh, are you scared to get happy and all them? The Shalala Empire. <laughs> oh right, yes. They were the one. They they put out flexes and fanzines, and this was Jim's label. Right, because I've come across obviously there was from Sarah Records. You had Claire and Martin, and he That's also, true. and he also did. Was it Are You Scared to Get Happy? Was his fanzine as well, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Because we put out a flexi with them quite early. We put Girl Your Dreams. Back with um, Baby Lemonade's track quite early on. Okay, right. God, it, it, so you were really in the heart of it. And when you said that Martin left the band in yeah. sort of May um, 91, did you sort of feel it was coming or was it a case that it was a bit... No, it's totally out of the blue. It was, it was totally out of the blue. And it just, um, I mean, she'd, she'd really have broken the band up at that point. But I really wanted to record Jenny Brown because I thought it was such a good song. Yes. And then, and then obviously, you still recorded it. There was another single that came along a bit later, which was titled Smoothie as well. So that, that was actually in, that was in between the album and uh, Jenny Brown. So that, that must have come out, uh, I don't know, January or something, 91. Yes. And yeah. then, and was it the case then within that year, you know, that you had a sit down and say with the other three members, this is going to be, to quote Jim Morrison, the end? Yeah, well, not really. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> That's what I should have done. Uh, but it just blindly carried on until it just wore me down, really. Yes. And how long ago and how many more months, years did you go with with the project before deciding that was enough? I just fizzled out over the next two years, really. I mean, I, I just lost interest completely once Martin had left because a lot of it had to do with our interaction with each other. Yeah. It was just, we were, like, superficially very similar, but we were actually opposites. Uh, we complemented each other, and, like, whenever we got together, like, 
was musical sparks were really interesting. Yeah. But um, that once that dynamic was gone, the band was really finished. And have you since that period have you sort of been in touch with the other three members at all? I just wonder if you occasionally get together for the odd. Uh, it, it was a musical project. It really was. It, it wasn't like um, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, there wasn't a social side to it. No. Oh, all right. I just, I just wondered if you occasionally, you know, like had an anniversary five or ten years yeah. later to say, blimey. Because... That's what else, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? I mean, obviously, because having done this show for a while now and sort of got into so many obscure bands from that period, um, and some had never released an album, quite a few had just done a few singles and a few flexi-discs and bits and pieces, and then... 30 years later, you know, there's, there's, there was these two, there's Cherry Red Records, who's, you know, who's hoovered up a lot of the labels, but there's also these other two labels that have come along, Cloudbury, which I think are based in New York, and um, have put out quite a few uh, indie albums by yeah, bands. And then, obviously, in Germany, there is Fire Station Records with Dear Old UV that everyone talks about. So how did your relationship with that develop? Uh a guy from Cloudbury got in touch with me about ten years ago or something, and that was the first time I'd even like thought about the bachelor pad since it had broken up. So that that was quite good. I did an interview with Cloudbury, uh, and it uh, made me sort of like face up to and remember a lot of stuff that I hadn't thought about for so long. Um, but just recently, you know, em emotional response. Records, yeah, in Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, yeah, I did an interview with him um, this year sometime. They're 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 going to be putting out they're going to be putting out the bachelor pad stuff pretty soon. Okay then. So, so is it the case that re-release? Okay, and because is it the case then that your material has come out on the Cloudbury record label? No, I, I was, we were talking about it, but I, I, I wasn't really ready at that point to even sort of listen to it again, never mind think about it coming out again. But that was about 10 years ago. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite keen about this re-release project that's coming out in Emotional Response. That, that, I'm quite um, excited about that. Yes, because it's one thing that I've noticed a bit... Um which I hadn't appreciated, but I suppose you don't when you're a bit younger, that the passing of time is quite interesting, but also to make things that take on a different value over, you know, the passing of um, the full moon. And, thir and 30 years seems to be the, the number that seems to come up, because this year there's been two books that have been published on the world of fanzines. Now, up to very recently, you know, the fanzine world of the 80s wasn't that, you know, excitable. No one really took much interest, and it certainly didn't probably get much on eBay. But now, um, you know, it's become incredibly, yeah, everyone has suddenly become interested because of, because, you know, a few years ago, I'm sure most people were just chucking their old fanzines into the recycling or even landfill if they just couldn't be bothered. And um, now, you know, it's a bit like, no, no, don't do that. But, you know, we can put uh, put it in the book. We can put it in an exhibition. So obviously yeah. uh, the passing of time is really important for bands or for people. The fanzines, to... that, the fanzines of that period were great. 
they were really I thought they were brilliant. They were really um, colourful and funny and 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 some some of them were, were brilliant. I thought the the the, the like post C eighty six fanzines. I thought I thought they were really really good. Yes, as as people started. I've still, got, I've still got a huge box of them. Oh God! Don't, don't some, some of them are, some of them are really really like gorgeous, beautiful beautiful artifacts. Yes. And I think if you've got anything by the, the fanzine, Are You Scared to Get Happy? I'd definitely keep hold of that. Put it in a yeah. museum. So then, so bring it up to the current day. So is it the case then that you managed to keep the master tapes or some sort of recording of, of the... I've got, I've got a fair few of them, yeah. Um, not all of them, but I've got quite a lot of them. I, I, did, I did go to the studio to, to rescue them and um, I've looked after them. So, oh, fantastic! There, there's nothing like good archiving. So, is, <laughs> is that so? Will this be the case that obviously I can't remember his name, but I did an interview with him because I know who you're talking about. Because he came over to England or Britain in the summer to do a few concerts um, with a few other bands from the Sarah record label. But is it the case that um, you've gone back and <laughs> sorted out, sort of started to write sleeve notes and sort of yeah. um, putting pieces together? Yeah, yeah, and putting the whole package together just now. Yeah. Yes, well, this is very exciting. And does it sound? I mean, obviously, it had taken thirty years for you to sort of uh, get to the point where you thought, actually, I might like to listen to this again. And how did that feel emotionally? Well, I didn't listen to it for years because the end was so traumatic that I just couldn't go back there. But I, 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 I've been pretty surprised at how well it stands up it's it's still pretty far the far out stuff's still really far out the catchy stuff's still really poppy yes and 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 it's um, it's good and i noticed that this year there there was this exhibition wasn't there that had been put together probably by various people but also one of the main people was this guy vic galloway who did a piece on yeah the, the Scottish music scene. So did Which, that did that also feel um, interested interesting as well? Um, I wasn't I wasn't that particularly. In, I wasn't I wasn't personally that interested in it. It was um, a bit state approved. Yes, I would imagine it was. But at the same time, it obviously is you know did attract quite a lot of attention and, and yeah, put yeah, things on the market. But other things have come along in the slipstream to. Um, yeah, if if so wanted to to be not part of that, but obviously started to archive you know pieces because I didn't realise why well, I did slightly, but I hadn't put it all together. Just what an amazing creative indie scene there was in Scotland, and and you know obviously we'd sort of come across all the famous and obvious people, but there was all these indie bands that I'd loved, but um, yes, I hadn't sort of put to, put them together in an exhibition or a book and thought, wow, look at that scene. So, yeah, it was quite an, it was quite nicely done for an outsider's point of view. It might feel different when you're too close to something. Yeah. And does that mean that? You've also been in touch with Graham, Martin, and Mike from the band. Nah, <laughs> I'm just doing it myself. Yes. So will will it be the case that when when you get your copies, do you think I'm you have... flame? <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered if when when you get the copies and and stuff that you all sort of send them a few copies themselves to see what they're well just because that they were part of it or do you think do you think that they would have no interest at all in interest I, I, I honestly haven't a clue I'm, I'm just, I mean I, I should really you're right I should I should contact but um I haven't yes well I spoke to 
a few bands about their kind of moment and their glory days. Um, and it was interesting, it was Dan But No Bacon, who's now living in a small village somewhere in America, um, was saying that he's got the box of Chumbawamba archives. And I just thought it was quite a nice thought, you know, like the, the archives of the band are there. I'm sure the other members must have bits and pieces themselves, but obviously he seems to have got the archive box. There's, there's usually one Bill Wyman that keeps everything, and that was me. I kept I, I kept everything, so and it's, 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 all, it's all going into the, the, the reissue package. Fantastic. All, all the flyers and posters and... Yes, well, it's always good, actually. I always think it's essential. And, and now, I mean, at the time it was nice, but then I think with the passing of the years, I think you look back and think, oh, they, you know, that was an amazing moment. It, you know, it just captures so much at the same time. And what happened to your musical journey after the band finished? Um, well, I got into other things. I mean, I, I, was, I was interested in other things other than music, and uh, I just explored other areas. I've been doing a lot of writing, and I've been doing video editing. Yes. A bit of design. And did you miss not being in a band when, once it finished, or was that it...? It took me a long time to get used to not being in a band, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm still sort of in a band in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I would imagine the intensity. And the other thing that, that obviously, from this period, that uh, a lot of people or it played a part was because the early years was often spent, you know, still claiming unemployment or the enterprise allowance scheme, which seemed to be a good thing for people who wanted to be creative and have some sort of form of being able to survive. How did you, you know, did, did that kind of world also sort of impact and was a kind of important uh, kind of, I don't know, stabilising influence? Um, well, when I started the bachelor pad, it was the same time that I joined uh the workers cooperative movement and that that was a world of its own just as esoteric as the indie rock world at that time in the late 80s it was it was a highly politicized scene the workers cooperative movement and and, and i was sort of kind of pretty involved in that for a few years while i was in the bachelor pad yes <laughs> i just yeah those kind of things are both, um, they're kind of interesting. They often end badly as well, don't they? And there's often a lot of... Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's... <laughs> in theory, it should also be so nice. But um, in reality, yeah. There's, yeah. there's an awful lot of meetings and a lot of kind of backstabbing. And, and you know... And, and being... On the surface, it's quite similar. It's a bit all for one and one for all, but, you know... Yes. But it's in... It's certainly a learning curve, anyway, and it's also a bit of a sort of, I don't know, it, it, it makes you wonder, I don't know, how to deal with things. That's not yeah. quite right. It, I suppose it's a bit disappointing, you know, you think, God, we've all got vaguely the same thing in common, and yet, you know, there, uh -huh. there's, there's so many dysfunctional elements to this, and, yeah. some, and some of the better and the more capable people leave, and the people who get left are the people who you know, really aren't going to take the baton and run with it particularly. Uh -huh. And that's often the disappointing thing. And the organisation just folds. So you think, oh, well, we could have done a great thing, but we didn't. It, it was an alternative to um, being on the door. And it was um, some sort of resistance to the sort of Thatcher era. Yes. So it kind of, it, originally, it, it really went hand in hand. I mean, we played a lot of benefits for CND and stuff when we started off. Yes. So uh, it... it, it 
it, it did complement the two worlds did complement each other at first. They were kind of underground scenes, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, there was a sort of empathy between the two worlds. Because it was interesting, because um, being obsessed both with John Peel and also buying the NME on a Wednesday morning, um, I used to also get those cassettes, whatever the genre of music was. But also uh-huh. they did they did a, a video VHS tape of various well, indie bands to do with CND. Because you, the, you were yeah. also on that, weren't you? We were, yeah. We put Country Pancake on that. Yes. And it went really well. Well, I know. I mean, and, and in those days, you know, not many bands, especially indie bands, made videos. And if they did, they were all a bit scratchy and a bit sort of rough, which was fine. But the problem was you could never get to see them unless you went and uh-huh. bought, bought the VHS tape or somehow, I don't know, It wasn't. they would never be on telly. I mean, you never saw, we've got a fuzz box and we're going to use it particularly on telly. I mean, you might occasionally at half 10 or uh-huh. half 11 at night, but on a Wednesday evening, but the chances are you missed it. So so actually getting that video tape was, was quite exciting and, and there were a lot of good bands on it. So yes. Do you know how many copies of that VHS tape they sold? Lords. Yes. Yeah. It, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty big as far as I remember. Excellent. So I and all that. It was, it was, it was, it was quite, um, it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, look, Tommy, yeah this has been fantastic and um, thank great. you great to sort of catch up and great to uh, find you but the one thing that i might ask for and i don't know if you have any is a few of the tracks from the band as mp3s i don't know if if such things exist on your computer i, I, I did send some oh uh, yes you're right i have yeah. got i have got some sorry with, with age i get a bit confused what's um <laughs> God, you'll have to excuse me. It's one of those things, you know. <laughs> well, sometimes, I don't know if you, this ever happens to you, but sometimes you think, oh, shit, I've, I've already asked you that question a week ago for something. Constantly, constantly. <laughs> and I sometimes now sort of start with the, look, I might have said this already, and but can, can I just check? And it's like, yes, you have already said that. And you think, oh, okay, sorry. That's just an age thing. So, um, yeah, okay, I can remember now. It's just having... Oh, you know what it's like, you know. <laughs> things take so, you know. <laughs> I can probably remember things that I did 30 years ago better than things that happened two weeks ago, really. So um, that's <laughs> just life. But anyway, look, that's brilliant. And I'll tell you, when I put this out, and it's really great that you're back, yeah, um, you're, you're with Emotional Response, because I spoke to him um, sometime this year, which was really nice, because he's in Arizona, and, um, yeah, then they were sort of coming over to do their thing as well, weren't they? A few live dates. Great people, and, and I'm really looking forward to bringing out the material again. Yes. Well, it's great. I I can now put Emotional Response down as my other ba- label that is doing great things, because um, I thought it was great that Fire Station and Cloudbury were doing it, and obviously Cherry Red are quite a... A kind of a, 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 a kind of a pretty good machine at releasing these things, but um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. So, um, and I just think it's great that things are accessible. Really, that's my theory anyway. But it's also great that you've managed to get back your archives or have a look at your archives, and yeah. uh, and use them really. We contacted my muse. <laughs> fantastic! What a good one. Anyway, look, Tommy, thank you ever so much for this, and I'll keep in touch. Oh. Much obliged. Take care there and have a lovely day. Thanks a lot, David. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
There you go. I love to leave the end in just because it's always so fumbly. That was me in conversation with Tommy Cherry from The Bachelor Pad. A big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. And all these have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, C86 Show. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.
recording as well. Yes, recording. Um, yeah, so this is with your band that uh, is the Bachelor Pad, which in a way it kind of came out at the kind of, I suppose you were creating or getting together in the late 80s. Yeah, about 86 was when the Bachelor Pad got together. And did, um, and was that a scene? I mean, where, where were you based and was there quite a scene around your sort of community and neighbourhood? Uh, well, we were from Glasgow, so it was it was the joint was jumping in nineteen eighty six. Yes, well, absolutely, and obviously this was the year the famous NME cassette came out, the C eighty six one. So, and I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with the tambourine player of um, Primal Scream, actually, who was, who also wrote an amusing book as well yeah. about his life of the tambourine player. So at that time, had you been obsessed about the kind of the post-punk indie scene that was happening both in this country and obviously in Glasgow? Because he told me that the scene was obviously absolutely, yes, hopping, hopping with excitement. Hopping, so it was, yeah, it definitely was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was totally obsessed with music. Uh, and did it... Mostly psychedelic and punk. At that time, yes. Well, I I remember he he was also very keen on the psychedelic rock side. So, did it take a while to get the sound and the band together? Because because some people said you know they definitely formed as a band. Some people just formed you know kind of in a loose way to sort of make uh -huh. some music with some mates. So, how did the Bachelor Pad come together?
And that is the end of the interview, apart from a few goodbyes, which kind of get a bit messy, really, as you do when you try and say goodbye in a slightly concise way and it doesn't quite happen. Anyway, look, that's the end of the um, interview chat conversation. That was me um, with Robin Turner talking about Heavenly and the new publication that has come out, Believe in Magic, 30 Years of Heavenly Recordings by Robin Turner and Paul Kelly. Uh, This is available on White Rabbit Books. Do check it out. It is beautiful. I'm not just saying that. (laughs) It is quite an interesting book. Um, Yes. Right. That's it. Oh, yes. My contact details. You can have those if you want. And if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's the C86 show. Um, Yes. There you go. Yeah, did I say Facebook? I'm sure I'm getting Alzheimer's here. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And also all these have been in um, archived and you can get those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, C86 Show. Anyway, look, this has been David Esau. Have a great week. Stay safe. That's it. <laughs>